wow, I forgot how high is this pulpit. <laughs> so today, Christ the King Sunday. Were many of you following the highly romantic wedding last May of Meghan Markle and Prince Harry? Meghan Markle, an American woman of mixed race, formerly divorced, marrying into the British royal family, a very new woman introduced into a very old family. Meghan Markle, professional actress with stellar career, at one point when she and Harry were engaged, they went somewhere and she climbed out of their limo and people asked for her autograph. She was used to that. She gave her autographs, climbed back into the limo and was told, we royals don't do autographs. <laughs> no longer does she have a Facebook page or Instagram or Twitter accounts and she had to close down her blog. Now that's true love. Meghan Markle, with a black mother and a white dad, divorced parents, and she divorced. In a way, she's the new American girl. Yet, the now Duchess of Sussex is no girl. She's a feminist. She's a very strong woman. She's committed to justice for the entire world, for all impoverished, especially women and girls. My re research this week on kingship <laughs> shows that Brits are enormously taken with her. The royal wedding was a big deal. And for many of us Americans as well, especially those of us who've been watching The Crown and Elizabeth on PBS, we caught that stunningly beautiful wedding on the East Coast very early in the morning, and out here, I think, in the middle of the night, if you wanted to watch it live. But many of us watched it in days after. The specials showed the town of Windsor had been festooned with red, white, and blue bunting and people pouring into town and camping out to catch a glimpse of the procession on that wedding day, the horse guards, the royal coach, royal people arriving, and VIPs streaming up the steps of St. George's Chapel at Windsor Castle. And a lot of us Episcopalians were thrilled with the lively evangelical sermon our presiding bishop, the most Reverend Michael Curry, African-American head of the American Episcopal Church, preached. A sermon of enthusiasm. That's Bishop Curry. And remember, the word enthusiasm comes from the Greek meaning filled with spirit. A sermon about the Jesus movement we're all on, his favorite subject. A sermon about love. A sermon preached in the style 
and with an accent revolutionary in the history of British royal weddings, I suspect. For he is a black southern preacher. We in the Diocese of Vermont look forward to presiding Bishop Curry consecrating our new bishop next fall. We'll have an election in May, and the date of the consecration is already set so that he can be there to consecrate and to preach. We're excited about that. So today, Christ the King, a king to celebrate, a king like no other. An anonymous poet describes him this way. His crown is thorns, his throne the cross, his kingdom the hearts of all people. His kingdom, the hearts of all people. Christ the King. Now this concept of kingship is for some of us quite alien. Some of my clergy friends admit to finding this particular day in the church calendar one of the hardest on which to preach. Thank you, Nathan. <laughs> For Jesus' kingly role doesn't necessarily delight us. I've been asking people this week how they would feel if they lived in a nation ruled by a king or a queen. One said, the monarchy is irrelevant. Another said, it's become an expensive anachronism for the Brits. <laughs> so I tried out my 14-year-old granddaughter, and she said, eh, I live in a democracy. Then she said, that's the best form of government, well, except for the Electoral College. <laughs> she went on, that's got to go, but it may not be soon. But for me, she said, one person, one vote is how it should be. The monarchy isn't even on her radar screen. She'd never heard of Meghan Markle. She was unaware of the royal wedding last May, totally disinterested. Even though at 14, I would think she'd have liked to see that wedding dress. So why do we observe Christ the King Sunday? Marion Hatchett, commentator on the Book of Common Prayer and theologian of liturgy, wrote that the King, Christ the King Sunday is actually a recent invention. It's why we cradle Episcopalians don't even remember it from our childhood. In the 1920s, the Roman Catholic Church proclaimed the last, last Sunday of October, Christ the King Day, and gathered kingly readings, just like the ones we have just heard. Interestingly enough, the last Sunday of October is the Lutherans' Reformation Sunday. I think that might be why they chose that date at first. <laughs> During the liturgical renovations, Vatican II changed Christ the King Day to the last day before Advent. And we, too, have picked up the custom. And what a paradox it is. 
For next week, the first Sunday of the church year, we begin that amazing season of Advent when we look forward to the birth of a king in a lowly manger, a rude stable. So thus our readings about God as king, the Lord is king, we sang in the psalm, and Pilate's fear of Jesus' supposed claim to be king. Kingly words so often abound in Christian vocabulary. And they can be pretty off-putting to new Christians, to say the least. As I said, we sang in the psalm, the Lord is king. In the Hebrew reading, apocalyptic vision of Daniel, the ancient one, God, sits on a throne of fiery flame, wheels of burning fire, served by thousands, attended by 10,000 times 10,000. It's the stuff of Cecil B. DeMille. The Ancient One bestows dominion, glory, and kingship upon a human figure who stands before him and proclaims his kingship will never be destroyed. And then in the New Testament reading, the Revelation of John, another vision of Jesus as ruler of the kings of earth. And last but not at all least, our gospel reading, Pilate asking Jesus, perhaps curiously, are you the king of the Jews? Or perhaps in great fear, are you the king of the Jews? The people sought a leader who would do as they wanted, who would overthrow the oppressive Roman government, who would solve their problems for them, and who would change their lives. Indeed, Jesus could and would change lives, but not the sort of king would he be whom they sought, whom, who would do just what they wanted, who might allow them simply to become passive followers and observers of kingship. Rather, Jesus throughout history has challenged all of us to seek the kingdom where a little is a lot. The powerful are not blessed, but rather the poor. And where love is a verb demanding justice and peace. That's Jesus' kingship. He taught love, sacrificial, unconditional, eternal love. Jesus' version of love is really countercultural, don't you think? His throne, the cross, his kingdom, our hearts, his crown of thorns, king of paradox, king who serves, king who serves all, king who is not merely there for those who hang around him, but rather king of the cosmos. Remember Marcus Borg's wonderful book, The Last Week? I think we all considered Marcus Borg our own resident theologian. We were so lucky to have him here. 
And Mark has taught that book for Holy Week, the last week, only a few years before he died. In the beginning of the book is a description I shall never forget. The Roman rulers are in a procession coming into Jerusalem for the Jewish Passover, a time when crowds come to, Jewish, to Jerusalem as Arabs go to Mecca. And the Roman leaders were worried about unrest among the crowds. So this procession into Jerusalem, a consul on a great white horse, banners, chariots, people cheering perhaps their fears as an oppressed people. That one procession from one side into Jerusalem and another procession from the other side of the city, a lone man riding a donkey in great simplicity. But hopeful people there cheering and throwing palms under the feet of the donkey, hoping that this might be the ruler they seek whom they've long waited for. Ride on, ride on in majesty, in lowly pomp, ride on to die, our beloved hymn proclaims. Christ the King Sunday offers us the drama of paradox. I actually wish we called it Paradox Sunday. Wouldn't it make more sense? Today, we wrap up our liturgical year with the mystery of paradox, Paradox Sunday. It's the last Sunday of our current church year. It's the end of the long season called Ordinary Time, or the Sundays after the Feast of Pentecost. It's actually, today and this week, a liturgical New Year's Eve Next Sunday, Advent 1, will be the beginning of an entire new church year. And the season of Advent gives us the new theme from coming for Christ. We will await Christ's coming. Advent means coming from the Latin to wait or to come. So, that's the new year of the Christian calendar next week, and whoever preaches might talk about that. How do you prepare for the new year? How do you prepare for the calendar new year? I asked my granddaughter, and she said, I don't. It's the beginning of the school year that's my new year. That makes sense, doesn't it? A mother of young children who leads a pretty frenetic life said she spends New Year's Eve reviewing her journal. She says, I look back at monthly stocking, taking stock of business concerns, of family concerns, of my friends, of my finances. And she readies herself for the new year through her journal. Another church I served has a a member of the congregation who spends New Year's Eve, and he said he does it all day, tallying his net worth. He goes through his accounts, 
He goes through his bank book. He checks his credit cards. And on New Year's Day, he announces his total worth. Well, it's a kind of worth. When I knew it, knew him, that worth was very much. So I offer you and me, all of us, a proposal for our church New Year's Eve today and this week. I suggest we spend this week in reckoning. Where are we with God right now? How's our prayer life these days? How is our ministry in the world a real servant ministry? We must be honest with ourselves in this reckoning. Are we avoiding something we suspect God is calling us to? Are we avoiding it hard? Do we think it might be too difficult or take too much time? We really don't want to take it on? Well, let's think about that. Or are we feeling resentful because we've taken on so much that we're, con we're convinced that much of what we do isn't our best? We haven't learned that holy gift of being able to say no. Where is God in this? I propose we spend this week exploring our relationships with God, this God of infinite love, our relationship with Jesus, lover of our souls, our relationship with the Holy Spirit who can fill us, inflame us to do what we hear this week. How about setting aside some time each day maybe buying a new blank book to journal about us and God? Or how about writing some poems about the Jesus movement? Or how about reading some good poems written by the greats? Advent hymns could be a lovely place to begin. You know, every hymn is a poem. How about going online and finding that beautiful holy royal wedding, May 19th, 2018, the wedding of Meghan and Harry, and listening to our amazing presiding bishop preach about Jesus, about love, about serving God's beloved needy. How about, how about finding a few minutes of silence just to be with God this week? I wish you all a happy New Year's Eve and a blessed Advent. Amen.